And we're back. <laughs> we're going to be talking about hysteroscopy today in our first surgical consult. Hello and welcome to the New School OBGYN Podcast, a podcast in women's health, but for everyone. Our goal is to promote good and reliable knowledge because the source of your information matters. My name is Eric Schmidt, board-certified OBGYN, Uba Valieva, board-certified OBGYN. Please consider downloading and following along. We're in all the major podcast, podcast hosts. And check us out, YouTube podcast. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or want to see the um, video podcast. Um, so like we talked about, we're doing uh, our first surgical consult, and it is for hysteroscopy. Well, Olga, what is hysteroscopy? Hello, everyone. I thought I'd say hello differently today. <laughs> hysteroscopy it is a super adorable procedure um when i break it down to patients hysteroscopy is history uterus oscopy looking so we're looking with a small camera inside of the uterus and cervix to evaluate um, for any abnormalities cause of bleeding and so on um it is a very quick procedure it doesn't take long i feel like setup for it is often a little bit longer than the actual looking procedure um but it is a minimally invasive procedure where we can determine um, what is happening inside the uterus, potentially do some biopsies, remove, um, you know, polyps, IUDs, things like that. So that's what it would be for. Um, who benefits from hysteroscopies? People that have um, structural causes of bleeding, like we talked about polyps, uh, people who have either abnormal uterine malformations like septa, or septums, yeah. um, people that maybe have an IED that's stuck that we can't get out in the office, or just to evaluate for other causes of bleeding if we mm -hmm. can't quite see them on ultrasound. Um, the limitations are that we're only looking inside the ultras or the uterus. We can't look outside of the uterus. So if there's something growing on the other side, we can't see it, yeah. unfortunately. Um, and we'll also talk about the different risks. Um, so yeah, it's pretty cute. Yeah. Um, so I think... You know, the big thing about hysteroscopy is it's the one of the most minimally invasive procedures mm -hmm. that we can do, and mm -hmm. it can potentially make a big impact. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, I guess a little clinical example is a patient, Olga, comes to your office. Mm -hmm. She's 41 years old. Mm -hmm. um, she's done having kids. Mm -hmm. um, and so she's having bleeding. It's disruptive, bleeding between her periods. Um, uh, she's having to worry about wearing a pad all the time, things like that. Um, she's like, I just want a hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. Give me a hysterectomy. My mom had one. Can I have a hysterectomy, please? Um, and yes, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bad. Um, no, so we, yeah, one of the first steps we do to figure out why the bleeding is, uh, you know, or what it could be caused mm -hmm. by is, um, do the ultrasound mm -hmm. and we see a polyp there. Mm-hmm. And that's such an easy fix. It's such an easy fix. And the benefit of a hysteroscopy is we can fix the cause of the bleeding without having to put a patient through a major surgical procedure. Um, the hysteroscopy, like we we're saying, is a minimally invasive day procedure. It has very minimal downtime. Um, so how we do the hysteroscopy is we... Um, place the camera inside of the uterus and the camera is actually really small um, mm -hmm. they range anywhere and depending on the type of instrumentation you use from a few millimeters to a few millimeters so really they're pretty yeah. small so either three to seven millimeters so right. there's a very tiny range and that's still less of a less than a quarter of an inch so we're right. talking really small um, hysteroscopies can be diagnostic meaning we just want to go in and evaluate and see if there's actually something there because yeah, sometimes maybe. ultrasounds aren't very clear it's not perfect or they can be operative meaning we go in 
in there, we see something, and then we remove it. So yeah. they can serve two purposes. They can be both diagnostic and they can be curative. Um, if we're just looking to diagnose or to take a look, then we use a smaller scope just because it tends to cause less pain. But if we want to actually remove something, we have to use something slightly thicker um, because those thicker scopes, they have an operative channel or like a little canal yeah. where we can put our instruments through. So they tend to be a little bit more... Um, bulky and again i'm talking like a millimeter difference right, so it's right. really still pretty small right. um the way we do it is we place sterile water or saline solution into the uterus because otherwise the uterus is just collapsed on itself balloon, yeah. we can't see anything um i have to make a joke that it's like two pieces of steak stuck together but then i had somebody who was a vegetarian not appreciate that <laughs> so <laughs> two muscles stuck together so we put water or saline in there steak. to kind of help distend the uterus so we can have a very global view um but for that patient, you know, after we've done the ultrasound, if I see a polyp, I'm like, listen, we can do a polypectomy, removal of your polyp with a hysteroscopy, very minimally invasive, very quick procedure, and we can treat your bleeding issues. And if that doesn't work, then we can proceed to something major like a hysterectomy. Yeah. Um, and we can potentially pair the hysteroscopy mm -hmm. or the removal of that polyp fibroid mm -hmm. with something else potentially. We'll get on that a yeah. little bit. Um, but yeah, um, a nice quick, easy procedure can be done in the clinic, mm -hmm. potentially. It depends mm -hmm. on if the clinic has that set up because mm -hmm. it does take a little bit of a, a setup, a procedure room and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, or it can be done in the hospital. Um, what, and are, that, what are the benefits, Eric? Well, the, other? the nice thing about being done in the clinic is one, um, you don't have to worry about the general anesthesia, so you don't have to worry about the fasting restrictions. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and you don't have to undergo the, an the general anesthesia, which can kind of make you pretty fatigued for mm -hmm. maybe a day or two. Um, and it's also costly. And it's costly. Mm -hmm. um, you, it, not the point of this podcast, but probably potentially save more resources doing mm -hmm. it in the clinic. Mm -hmm. Um and, uh, you know, the clinic setup um, sometimes is a little more restricted to more brief procedures. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, there's certain scenarios because we have to, it, it, it starts with a speculum exam. You look, you see the cervix, um, and then you have to get through the cervix into the uterus with a camera. Mm -hmm. If a patient, and often this does happen more commonly with patients going past menopause, but the, that, that opening can be pretty narrow. Mm -hmm. Um, and so if there's dilation needed, um, it, it might, uh, be more difficult for in office, but you still can do it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it depends on the patient too, because sometimes there's patients that just don't do well with in office procedures. Absolutely. If we have a good, if we're able to do this under a little more anesthesia, make that patient more comfortable, mm -hmm. um, uh, then maybe the, the hospital, procedure um yeah. it, it's not a it. it's not a very feel-good procedure if you will the cervix doesn't like to be manipulated touched or dilated yeah. so it does cause some cramping and so if we do it in the office we typically do offer some level of analgesia or anesthesia so um one would be to do a local anesthetic or a numbing injection, I always kind of liken it to going to a dentist to get your fillings done, right? We inject the cervix um, and that kills a lot of the pain pathways and then we can proceed. There's still going to be a little bit cramping. I can't yeah. say it's a completely painless procedure, but it does help. Um, sometimes in addition to that, we can do some mild sedation, usually with a medicine that 
kind of helps relax you a little bit, like anxiety level stuff mm-hmm. um, and maybe a little bit of pain medication. And some offices also have a nitrous oxide setup, yeah. kind of like laughing gas, right. which we use both in labor and in dentistry. So we can use that as well to just help with the pain control. And there are women that or people that don't tolerate this procedure at all or just don't tolerate pelvic exams. And if that's if you're one of those people, that's totally fine. Then we can do it in the yeah. OR under general anesthesia. And that's completely fine. Yeah, it's just an option. Everybody's everybody's different for mm-hmm. that. Um, and to make it at, at a point on there, what we can give you, not pain-related, well, kind of indirectly, but um, is a medication to help making that dilation of the mm-hmm. cervix or getting through the cervix a little easier. Um, so there is a medication right now that, okay, we're, we're not going to go political. Uh, mesoprostol. Um, <laughs> I don't think meso is political. Then they're trying to block it in certain oh, areas. Okay. Um, so it, it it helps to dilate the cervix, soften mm-hmm. the cervix. So getting that camera um, in is just a little bit easier. So often places that are able to do this in the office mm-hmm. might premedicate you with that mm-hmm. uh, medication to make it a little bit easier. Absolutely. Because um, I think we all want to, I think for us and for patients, we want to do it again, um, less invasive, less medications, less resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and so hopefully get it done in the office, but it's certainly something we do in the hospital Absolutely. all the time. Um. And we do like to time this with someone's menstrual cycle, ideally. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the caveat is that we're often seeing patients to t- remove their polyp because um, they're having bleeding problems. And so trying to find your way around that <laughs> is a bleeding, tricky. which yeah. is almost all the time, it, um, can be tricky. But yeah. ideally, we like to do this procedure right after someone's had their menses mm-hmm. uh, where the lining's the thinnest. I think the only time we really can't do it is if somebody's having like heavy active bleeding because it really obscures our view. Like we can't see anything if there's blood yeah. coming at us. Yeah. Um, we do use water through the hysteroscope too, again, or saline to give us a clear view. But if it's bleeding, we just can't see anything. So yeah. I think that's the only time we say no, we can't do the hysteroscopy. But if it's like light spotting, that's usually doable. But ideally, it's right after the menstrual cycle when the when the cavity is the most empty so we can see the best. Yeah. Um, and... I guess we could talk about complications a little bit because um, we yeah, we those. went over, um, you know, that this is beneficial in, in many ways because mm-hmm. of the minim, minimally invasiveness. Um, the complications, there's not much to talk about. They're all pretty rare. They're pretty um, rare. The most common one um, would be accidentally um, poking a hole in the muscle of the uterus trying to get the camera through or the mm-hmm. dilators through. Um, this happens more commonly in certain situations, um, like that, um, situation we're talking about where the cervix is just really mm-hmm. hard to get through. Um, you, you can potentially, um, inadvertently find or create a different passage that's not supposed to be there. Absolutely. Um, still about one in a thousand. That's pretty, pretty rare. rare. And if that happens, we just stop the procedure. The uterus is very forgiving. It heals on its own. And again, we're not using very big instruments. So it's a tiny little poke hole. We're not right. damaging anything permanently, but obviously we can't proceed. So we'll let it heal and then we'll potentially try it again. Something to be avoided. But if it's done with a blunt instrument like that, the uterus heals Absolutely. very well. Very, very well. Um, um, infection is another one, again, pretty rare. Um, and we're talking like less than one in a hundred closer to one in a thousand type situations. It is a sterile procedure. We cannot kill all the single bacteria that's out there. So we do cleanse the cervix. We do cleanse the vaginal canal with iodine. We use sterile instrumentation, but 
infections do happen, but they're pretty rare. Yeah, the infection risk is so low, they don't even recommend antibiotics for this procedure. Absolutely, yeah. Um, Sometimes because, like, you know, when when Eric was like, we have to dilate the cervix, sometimes there can be damages to the cervix, like a laceration. Mm -hmm. Um, That's pretty easily repaired. Um, We usually just put a stitch in there just to Mm -hmm. kind of help it heal. But again, our bodies are very forgiving so that they can heal. Um, A very, very, very rare complication would be a fluid overload. So like we mentioned before, we put fluid inside of the patient, but we have to monitor that fluid balance um, and make sure we don't put too much because then they can get absorbed into the person's bloodstream and can cause other complications. So we have specific cutoffs that we use as far as how much fluid we can put in. If we reach a certain point, then we have to stop the procedure. But um, this is, it's a pretty rare situation that this happens. We're pretty good about measuring our fluids. Um, and there's always a chance of in- increased bleeding during mm-hmm. the procedure, but that, that is super rare. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a, yeah, for an average hysteroscopy for removing a polyp, maybe a few milliliters blood loss maybe. Um, to fix the problem. And yeah. so, yeah, we mentioned earlier too, we can, um, so I guess we can go through a scenario um, like the patient we described earlier, um, who's, you know, in her 40s, mm-hmm. um, not wanting future kids or maybe not mm-hmm. wanting kids right now. Uh, we could do that procedure, um, set her up, whether it's in the office or in the hospital, mm-hmm. um, take a look inside the uterus with the camera. Um, we have a little, there's a few different ways to get the polyp out. Um, there's a couple, you know, like the newer technologies, these little devices where you can control them with a certain trigger or a foot pedal, and mm-hmm. it kind of just kind of shaves off that mm-hmm. polyp really nicely. I it's, like to call it like a Pac-Man situation. Yeah, where I found a cute eats. little video online. I'll include oh, that. Um, and it's super easy, super quick. I mean, it takes from start to finish 20 minutes. At most. Um, so that's what the setup. Right. Yeah. Um, and so could leave it there. Um, that could fix a majority of the issue, mm-hmm. but often we talk with patients, we're like, okay, we're going through all of this. Yeah. And depending on your wishes or adverse reactions to things like hormones in the past, like, do we want to do anything to prevent it? Mm-hmm. And so there's a couple options yeah. we can. So one option is if we're already in there, we, we can talk about maybe putting in an IUD would be an option for mm-hmm. people. Um, hormonal another, IUD, yeah. Huh? The hormonal yeah. IUD specifically, because that can either A, prevent regrowth of polyps or just help control the bleeding. Or we often combine it with a procedure called endometrial ablation. And I think that's a topic in and of itself but it's something that while we're already in there um, we essentially ablate or burn the lining and then the underlying muscle of the uterus and that helps prevent or reduce the amount of bleeding that women have during their menstrual cycle so we can't combine both procedures in one since we're already poking around in there yeah exactly um and you know a few a few other scenarios too where we we use hysteroscopy Mm -hmm. like we talked about some iud removals that Mm -hmm. are difficult whether it's a IUD from sometimes, for example, um, in uh, China, one child policy, China, mm-hmm. they would put these IUDs, which you don't have a string on it. And mm-hmm. so a patient couldn't remove it if, even mm-hmm. if they wanted to. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the scope when you use it, so we're talking about the operative scope, that's, that's slightly like the six millimeter. to seven millimeter difference <laughs> one, yeah. you know, it has a, it, it's bigger because it needs a channel for the fluid to go in, the fluid to come out and to potentially put a grasper in mm-hmm. as long as, as well as the camera, mm-hmm. but you can put a little grasper in, um, look, find that IUD mm-hmm. that you're unfortunately unable to get out in the clinic, what happens extremely rarely to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you. Mm, of course. Extremely nothing, rarely yeah, to Really me. rare. Yeah. You're just so good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Taryn on this podcast said I was good at IUD removals. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Patty she has to say that. Yeah, she's paid to say that. And so that's another scenario where we use hysteroscopy mm-hmm. a lot. Or it doesn't have to be different IDs. Like sometimes the IED strings get tangled and lost. Sometimes yeah. they rip off. Or sometimes you're moving an IED and a little arm gets stuck behind oh. and you have to go through. Those are the worst. Oh, uh, Paragard, why? <laughs> Eric, we're not supposed to talk about that. We're not supposed to talk um, But sometimes things get stuck in the uterus and we have to go take them out. Um, yeah, those. that's probably one of the most mm-hmm. difficult things I've, I've done with hysteroscopy is... Um, Finding a broken arm. The broken arm <laughs> in the mid-cervix, trying to remove that with yeah. the hysteroscopy is one of the Super rare, things. but kind of a pain in the butt. Yeah. Um, we can remove fibroids with them. We, oh, we yeah. talked about the structural cause of bleeding podcast, that if there's a fibroid that protrudes into the cavity or just hangs in the cavity, yeah. we can shave it off during a hysteroscopy. Yeah. Um, if there is, there's a condition called uterine septum. It's part of the developmental abnormalities in the uterus where a little muscle hangs in the middle of the uterus, mm-hmm. sometimes into the cervix and the vagina. So we can resect that. That's usually something that we do for fertility if women yeah. are interested in pregnancy but can't. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something we can do hysteroscopically as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just has a lot of different, um, it's very versatile. And it is. Very quick. And, in, and also too, if we're perplexed on mm-hmm. a symptom, whether it's pain mm-hmm. or bleeding, mm-hmm. you know, we have those options of- Or the, lack of bleeding. Or lack of bleeding. Mm-hmm. Um, remember the name of that? Asherman. Yes. Point for <laughs> Olga. She passed her boards. Um, you know, we can we can use a diagnostic scope. I, mm-hmm. um, and it's just, it's, you know, it, it helps us also mm-hmm. just to figure out what things are, what, what's happening. Mm-hmm. And in terms of downtime, I think we've mentioned many, oh, yeah. many times yeah. it's minimally invasive. There really is no downtime. Um, as far as far as the diagnostics of it, yes, we are dilating the cervix. So I typically recommend abstaining from intercourse or placing something in the vaginal canal for at least 24 hours just to let that cervix close so that we reduce infection rates. Uh, but there's really no activity restrictions. You live your life like you do. You don't change your diet. You don't change activity. There's really short of the procedure itself and maybe some cramping. You're good to to go. Um, as far as if we do something a little bit more invasive, like an operative situation, like a myomectomy or a septum resection or an ablation, then, you know, I, I typically, again, there's no like specific restrictions, but I say when you're symptom free, you get back to normal activity, like intercourse, things like that. But really do the procedure, you're potentially good to go the next day. It's really very easy. Yeah. It's kind of a one, there's not great guidance on some of those mm-hmm. things. Um, but two, it's also that, you know, I, I know a lot of our old discharge material that the hospital used to give would say like, oh, six weeks of oh, geez, no. limited activity yeah. and things like that. And you no, know, from this procedure, it and it depends too more on the anesthesia. Absolutely. Because if you're coming to the hospital, you're getting general anesthesia. You might be tired, fatigued for potentially a couple of days, yeah. not yourself dizzy. So your activity restrictions might be 48, mm-hmm. 72 hours. But that's not a procedure restriction. No, not a procedure. No, no. Yeah. This procedure wise, no, you can go out and, you know, be do your vigorous activity. Mm-hmm. You might be a little bit crampy, um, but hopefully it's not bothering you too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a great thing about it. Yeah. But if your provider is offering hysteroscopy, it's not, it's not a scary thing. It's a very minor procedure. I think people kind of build it up to be a much bigger thing than it is. Um, I think we failed to talk about postmenopausal bleeding. It's one of the ways we can evaluate postmenopausal bleeding too, but it's a, it's a quick procedure. It's very low downtime, very versatile. So um, if they have options for hysteroscopy, definitely talk to them about, you know, an office versus hospital, it, what they have for you. But yeah. It's 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 not a scary situation. It's pretty it's pretty nice. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, all good points. Um, that was our first surgery consult. If you have any specific questions, mm-hmm. yeah, comment and let us know if there's any ways you want us to kind of approach these because we have a whole bunch of procedures which we want to go through and, and talk about the procedure, the, the, the you know, the data or, or nitty-gritty, I guess it would be a way to put it, like mm-hmm. the, but also kind of go over our own experience, whether it's uh, hysteroscopy, hysterectomy, myomectomy, uh, tubal, we'll, we'll go over all these different procedures that we do on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let us know if there's anything specifically uh, you want to see or hear about. Um, and I think with that, we'll. You have anything else you want? I don't think so. Okay, it's a pretty straightforward one. Well, I hope everyone enjoys their week. Yeah. Um, and uh, thanks for listening and watching. Uh, we'll try and get this video up onto YouTube along with some some videos and diagrams to help understand um, some visuals of what we're doing with hysteroscopy. Um, and as always, the content to this podcast and video are for educational purposes only. None of the content is meant for personal medical advice. Um, if you're in need of that, please uh, see your provider. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week. Bye, guys. Bye.